The Fabulous 413 podcast is funded by Northeast Solar, homegrown in Hatfield, Massachusetts, and providing energy savings for their customers for over 10 years. Learn more at northeast-solar.com. Welcome to The Fabulous 413. I'm Khalees Smith. Monty Belmonte is baptizing himself and his family in the cool currents of the Atlantic. So if you're thinking along the lines of the Wilson sisters, this is a way for me to get alone, yes. Later in the show, we'll hear from Miss Annie Anderson, stepsister to legendary bluesman Robert Johnson. Although her book, Brother Robert, covers the time of their childhood together, she's had a much more storied life besides that, and we'll hear more from the woman herself. And continuing our Juneteenth extravaganza, we'll be checking in with Empress Bennu. The organization Moving Mountains they're a part of is bringing a Juneteenth celebration to Greenfield next week, and we'll discover more about how freedom is being heralded there in Franklin County. And although we're offering plenty of options on how to celebrate the nation's newest federal holiday. We want to hear how you interact with the Juneteenth. Maybe your family has celebrated it before. Maybe this is your first time hearing about it and its origins. Either way, send us an email to thefab413 at nepm.org or text us 1-800-639-9120. But first, language. The smartest clipper you can find is We're with word nerd Emily Brewster of Merriam-Webster in Springfield, which is where the dictionary building is right around the corner from my house. But don't come looking for my house, as I constantly say. But go look at the building that the dictionary is in because it's pretty cool. What are we talking about today, Emily? I thought we would talk more about some phrases because we got through so few of them last time and phrases are so fun. They are. They're really, they're hilarious. Yeah. Which which phrases are we talking about today? Well, last week we talked about slush fund and it's a, you know, has this nautical origin. And there are a number of other common phrases that also have the same, same nautical link. You know, it's really interesting to think of how, for what period of time speakers of the English language lived on an island mm-hmm. only, right? Like yeah, <laughs> right. the island of England is this just <laughs> island. And, uh, and then for so long, people also were kind of, you know, crowded around the eastern seaboard of this mm-hmm. continent. And uh, so, so these terms related to boats and sailing and all things nautical, they used to be probably far more transparent. I'm sure they were actually far more transparent to the average speaker than they are now. So we've kept the phrases, even though we no longer have like, you know, the nautical life prominent in our minds. We can go back to the sea anytime we want. (laughs) Make your own vessel. Go see the Constitution. (laughs) Sure, sure. Okay, so nautical terms that are now commonplace on the land. Yeah, things, this is going to surprise you, okay? Um, Just like humans coming from the sea and getting on land and staying there. And also being surprising. Yes. (laughs) Yes. All right. Take something to the bitter end, right? Which means the like the last extremity, however painful or calamitous it is, right? That's the bitter end. That is probably, but not definitely, a nautical phrase. So there, Hmm. there actually, there are actually two theories that are that are given as explanations. One suggests that the phrase derives from the nautical term bitter end. On a ship, the word bitter is used for the the turn of an anchoring line around the bits, which are the posts that are fixed to the deck for securing lines, lines being ropes on boats, right? Don't ever tell a sailor that something is a a rope because it isn't, it's a line. (laughs) The bitter end is the inboard end of the anchoring line. And when the line is all the way extended out to the bitter end, there's no more line. Then you are like literally at the end of your rope. Oh, yeah, that's cool. the that's the end of the line. That is the bitter end. 
Yes. <laughs> now, end of the line does not necessarily come from the same source. End of the line, it's not it's not clear where it comes from. You know, there's so many different the word line does so many different things that are also commonly made into metaphors. It could be railroading, right? The end of that kind of a line. Yeah, there are other kinds of lines that have ends. So many of them have ends. So like Toto. But, like Toto. <laughs> Did Toto get to the bitter end? I, I mean, at the end of that song, I feel like maybe they do. Now, there's another theory that bitter end is not at all nautical and that it actually comes from the Bible. There is a phrase in the Bible, but her end is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. And the suggestion there is that death is the ultimate bitter end. And by extension, you know, any difficult ending or a defeat is a bitter end. Now, etymologists think that this, the nautical origin is more likely, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not definite. It seems more likely to me only because the biblical one seems like a massive paraphrase for for what they're trying to get to. Sure, yeah, but I mean, biblical phrases do, that also has great, great cultural prominence for right. a thousand years. And so there are definitely phrases that are biblical for sure. Maybe it's not mutually exclusive. Maybe it's both. <laughs> Oh, sure. No, that's uh, that's also very possible, right? Like what does a phrase bring into the mind of one person as opposed to what it brings into the mind of another? So also it would be like fitting and also kind of funny if boats had more biblical terms for the things on them for years before it got meeting more people and expanding nautical vocabulary for being on ships and all of the terms there. Who knows? I don't know much about archaic navalry. Is that... <laughs> I, I don't think that's, well, you know what? Language is constantly evolving, sometimes right here in my mouth. Are you ready for an, another nautical phrase? Yeah, bring it on. Phrase? All right. Three sheets to the wind. Monty's oh. going to be sad he missed this one, right? He is. Because being three sheets to the wind is being drunk. This phrase goes back to the early 19th century. Sheets in this in this expression is not bedclothes, right? It's not the it's not the sheets that you change on your bed, but actually it's sails. The sails on a on a boat are also called sheets. Actually, the sheets are ropes or chains that are attached to the lower corner of a ship's sails and used to extend or shorten the sails. And if you are on a three-sailed vessel, and all three sheets were loose, like, you know, flapping around in the wind, then the boat would be, uh, would would just like be uncontrollably wandering like a staggering drunk on the waves. So, so drunk ships. It, drunk, drunk ships, ships yes. and bedclothes. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently old time sailors used to say that someone who was only slightly tipsy was just one sheet in the wind. Ooh. And then somebody who is, you know, rip roaring drunk was three sheets in the wind. You progressively then, accumulate more sheets than the drunker you get. Yes. Taking yes. a little bit more than their daily grog, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, three sheets to the wind is is now to the wind instead of in the wind is the more common phrasing. That seems even more perilous to me. Like if you're on a boat <laughs> and the sheets, those lines are actually, they're like, they're to the wind. They are, they are not, you can't even grab them and tighten them again. You're just, you're just, you should just go to bed. Well, and it's super dangerous to grab those ropes when they're loose. That is how a lot of sailors would lose limbs, trying to grab ropes that were like thrashing and then you'd get caught between the line and the mast and that's your arm gone. See, this is all a reminder why I'm I'm not a sailor at all. <laughs> it's potentially safer now, in theory. Okay, what's our next phrase? Emily Brewster, resident wordster, senior editor at Merriam-Webster. Pipe down. This one is also nautical. It means like to stop talking or to stop making noise. That seems ironic because wouldn't you be able to talk less with your pipe in? <laughs> well, a pipe <laughs> aboard a ship 
the, a pipe is a whistle that's used to summon a crew or to relay ah. orders. And so the sound, if you sound this instrument, if you blow this whistle, it's referred to as piping. So a crew would be piped to a meal, for example. If you were wanted to dismiss the crew, the bosun pipe would, would be sounded and the command would be to pipe down, to be dismissed. Because it got much quieter after the dismissal, that, that command then became associated with quieting down or making less noise. Crew is gone. They've they've piped down and they're they're probably making noise somewhere else. Maybe not. <laughs> they're smoking pipes on the deck now. <laughs> now that they've been piped down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting to think of pipe down as transitive, right? Like we tell people to pipe down. We don't tell them to pipe down themselves. But originally, it, you know, a, a crew was piped down. Seems very aggressive. <laughs> yes. In all ways that you could maybe interpret that. Also, like if you're using really loud pipes, I mean, that seems a little abrasive to call yeah. people. Also, it's loud sometimes on the ocean. So I can understand why you'd need something that would carry sound wise yes. a little further. Yeah, we can't blame them for their whistles. I mean, I can't blame them for any of this, of course. <laughs> They had to get around somehow. You can't take horses in the ocean. And also dolphins are really hard to train, it turns out, at least for like traveling purposes. Although, I mean, like a girl can still dream. Right. <laughs> Do we have more nautical phrases? I've got one more. And that is Brilliant. the phrase, by and large, which of course means on the whole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. By and large. It is a weird phrase once you think about it. Why is it like, oh, you know, by and large, this means blah, blah, blah. Or by and large, it was a lovely event, right? But hmm. what? why by and large? It's very strange. Well, it comes from sailing. Um, by and large refer to the ability of a, of a vessel to sail both on, as in toward the land, uh, toward the wind, sorry, and off, which means away from the wind. And in this context, the word by basically means near, or at hand. And the word large means with the wind on the quarter. So a vessel that sails well by and large can sail close to the wind or away from the wind, off the wind. That's cool. Yeah. So just a versatile ship? I guess. I mean, I think I think it also has, no, I think it has to do with the sailing conditions. My grandfather was a sailor and he would, I'm sure, be be horrified to hear how <laughs> stilted my discussion of these nautical terms is. I don't remember. <laughs> Look, some of these phrases are getting reinterpreted as yeah. they become landlubbers, and yes. we just have to all move on with that. Yeah. But it's right. cool. Like, it, it seems like it would, it seems more like it would apply to the maneuverability of a ship as opposed to the conditions for the ship. So that's really neat, too. Well, like the maneuverability you, I, has to do with what the conditions are, right? Like, if, the, if you don't have wind, you can't do anything. Right. But also, if you've got like a much larger, like giant crewed ship, the ones that are carrying like platoons or, or like troops are much larger and like have bigger firepower. But sometimes you can have a smaller ship like run circles around them. And it seems like interesting that like they both could be by and large, whereas I would automatically assume that the smaller one was by and large because it can maneuver a little better. But it's it's cool that it applies to both. Who knew? Well, and I, you know, I think it's so interesting how these 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 phrases really depart from we, we you don't actually need to know the source of a phrase to use it because it goes on and has a life of its own and does whatever it wants in the language or whatever the speakers of the language want it to do. So it it you know it's it's really completely removed now from its nautical origin for many people. Well, you can only take your language out on the sea so much. Eventually, you got to stay on land or 
you know, you're, you take your language with you to the bottom of the ocean. This got real dark. <laughs> Let your language live on the land where it continued, where it can continue to evolve and mean new and interesting things. <laughs> As opposed to taking it to a watery grave. Oh no, it just got worse. Thanks, Brewster, resident wordster. We speak more like pirates than we think. I need to. Thanks to Emily Brewster, senior editor at Merriam-Webster. If you've got a linguistic question, send it to us at thefab413 at nepm.org or text to 1-800-639-9120. Later in the show, we've got blues history and more with Ms. Annie Anderson and up next Juneteenth in Greenfield with Empress Bennu. Okay, so we are back. Welcome back to the Fabulous 413 being the actual Fabulous 413. <laughs> I thought I would have music, but that is okay. <laughs> and we are gearing up for freedom. That is to say, we are super excited for the newest federal holiday, Juneteenth, and all of the celebrations, the occasion that are happening around the four counties of Western Mass. Today's festivities are being put on by Moving Mountains, and that organization will be having a Juneteenth celebration on the holiday itself next Monday, in case you've forgotten, that's June 19th. And with us in studio is the founder of Moving Mountains and organizer for their Juneteenth events, Empress Bennu. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm going to move this so I can actually see your face. <laughs> so your what's your connection to the holiday? Before we get into your event and all the things that it's going to be bringing to Greenfield beyond, you know, just our general freedom and finding out about it. Like, have you celebrated it? Did you Were you celebrating it before or is it a recent thing for you? No. Um, actually, this is something that has been a tradition in my family it extends back to my grandparents and my parents, and I carried it over, but now I'm carrying it over into a different um, capacity right now. So um, I'm really excited about Juneteenth this year, um, because as you said, this is actually the second year I'm doing Juneteenth. Um, and I'm from Greenfield, Massachusetts, and one of the reasons um, why I loved, why I started doing um, Juneteenth was a means of bringing our community together um, at a difficult time last year, and um, it was a way for me to engage not just the older uh, members of the community, but also the younger members of the community, and using it as a, as a teaching tool as well. So um, I promised that I would be back this year bigger and better, and I kept my word, yay. <laughs> How are some ways, what are some ways in which you celebrated Juneteenth and Greenfield before, before you were throwing the big event? Mm -hmm. Like, how did your family celebrate it before? Cooking. Cookouts and good times? Yeah, cookouts, good times. I mean, there's (laughs) few better things than cookouts and good times, frankly. And if you get an invite, which is how I feel about like most of these celebrations happening, it's like it's it's other people's invite Mm -hmm. to the cookout. Yes. Behave. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but for for your celebrations this year, what's happening? What do you have planned? Oh wow, we have a full list of stuff that's going on that's this good. year. Um, last year, um, when I did it, um, I it was basically I didn't really have a lot of vendors. Um, I had some performers last year, but this year I will say that I'm happy to announce I actually have almost forty vendors right now. Wow! Yay! I'm really excited about that. You know, you know, Greenfield definitely represented and Springfield and Vermont. So I don't want to leave nobody out. But you're getting it from a wide range. <laughs> yes. That's wicked cool. <laughs> yeah. So um, we have almost 40 vendors this year. So that's going to be great. Um, we also have Hazel's Kitchen Food Truck, 
who's actually probably well-known out in Springfield and Amherst and Chicopee. He's going to have be serving West Indian cuisine in Greenfield this year. I have to say <laughs> that, and this is like a small aside, my partner and I have been trying for, I think, four years now mm-hmm. to get to Hazel's. Really? And every time we go, some sort of thing like impedes us from it's closed or you know there's a black Lives matter march <laughs> happening <laughs> in front of the place which is true that did happen at least once like there, I, we have never success like i've had their food at other places mm-hmm. i have never successfully actually gone to that restaurant monday. and had the food monday you can find them monday yeah but <laughs> it will still not be at the restaurant it'll be at your event <laughs> But I'm glad they're coming there because yes. their their food is fantastic. <laughs> yes, and um, also um, this year um, in Greenfield, this is actually the first ever Taste of Greenfield. And I'm also doing a citywide youth parade. And um, one of the reasons why I wanted to do um, the youth parade, because like as I mentioned, I definitely am dedicated to young people. And I try to use my platform as much not just for entertainment, but also for educational purposes. So um, there's so many other celebrations going on, but I just feel like we have so many talented young people and in around Greenfield. Um, and this would be something that they can actually show off their talents to. I will say that I actually used to be part of the Caribbean Carnival here in Springfield, <laughs> organizing the parade. So when I left Springfield three years ago, I kind of took that 413 energy with me to Greenfield. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> you can see it in the fact that some Springfield vendors are coming up yeah. to your event, too, yeah. I would say. I would say that. <laughs> So this is this is the first taste of Greenfield yes. in conjunction with your Juneteenth event. How did that come about? I just, you know, um, I just, I'm just original. I kind of like to 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 be a leader and like I like to be the first in a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm an original thinker and I always try to see well, what's not being done. You know, what can we do that we're not doing? And and like I said, when I first started to mention, you know, that I wanted to do Taste of Greenfield, people's eyes was wide open, like, wow, that's never happened before. And I said, well, let's do it. <laughs> and so I was like, you know, of course I'm driving myself crazy by trying to organize a second Juneteenth, but why not do a, do a parade and Taste of Greenfield too? <laughs> and, <laughs> so it's like from there, you know, um, I started garnishing a lot of support from the community. Um, as you could tell, and it, and needless to say, I'm very excited of, of where it's going. How do you think this is, let me rephrase this, because that sentence was about to go off the rails. How has this celebration of Juneteenth grown from your previous celebration? Okay, well, last year um, I had it in a smaller area. I had it at Energy Park. Um, And like I said, um, we we had Chad Hot Diggity Dog. He's one of my vendors. He's coming back this year. He gives free hot dogs and chips and sodas to the kids. Hello, um, hi Chad. So um, <laughs> and um, and I had him there as well. But I had like um, like I said, you know, like Style FX, one of the hip hop dancers, um, and Greenfield and some other performers like um, Strings for Kids. They're also going to be there this year along with Musica Franklin. It's also going to be there. But um, you know, but like I said, it was in a smaller venue. Um, but now this year, it's in a field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, it's in a field, and like I said, um, there's a there's a, a range of events, not just in the park, but outside of the park as well. Um, along with the along 
list of performances and speakers and vendors and so many people's going to give away free giveaways all day. So cotton candy, anything that you can think about is going to be there, <laughs> you know, and, and, and I, you know, I said it the other day and I'll say it again, you know, I just think that is great just the way that um, it, it just goes to show as far as where Greenfield is now and me as a black woman being able to be who I am and being able to create something like this and just have the community rally behind me really says a lot. And I can never not give all my love and respect to Greenfield and say thank you for supporting me. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> We're here with Empress Bennu of Moving Mountains talking about their Juneteenth celebration happening on Juneteenth, June 19th in Greenfield. Now, you've clearly got a bigger thing happening, so it, so it had to move, mm-hmm. but... There's no doubt in my mind that you're constantly thinking about like next year and how much bigger it's going to get. What's a thing that you would really love to have at your events in the future? Okay, so since we're talking about next year, I will say next year is 2024. And it's already in my head, like, you know, year three. It's like if every year I'm growing, I want to go all out for the third year. So I'm thinking about uh, moving it to the fairgrounds. Um, the fairgrounds is almost like if you look at the biggie mm-hmm. out here, the fairgrounds and Greenfield kind of like reminds you of that. Um, I would like to have something like a youth carnival with the rides, the whole nine yards, you know, have some performers come out. Um, I'm just, you know, I'm going to just put that out there for now. Any sponsors, <laughs> anybody who are like, world, just speaking into maybe, the universe, right? <laughs> maybe it will have it manifest yes. around you. <laughs> exactly. We're into that. Yes, you know, so, um, you know, I definitely want to go on, on, on a different level next year, but I want to maintain the same concept as far as, you know, as far as uniting the community and, and using my platform for the young people. Mm-hmm. And I will say... Um, because anybody that knows me knows I do stay true to culture. Um, So after Juneteenth, I also have three other events going on this year. It's going to be July 2nd, August 13th, and September 3rd in Energy Park, and it's going to be called Easy Listening Sundays and Reggae Sundays. So the first Sunday is going to be a Frederick Douglass community reading. Um, If anybody would like to be involved with that, any of the listeners who would like to be part of that reading, um, please reach out to me. Um, We're my, actually going to be doing a story about that a little bit later. That. You see how it works together? I know. <laughs> yes. So so definitely reach out to me on my website, www.movingmountainsmedia.org. And August 13th, I'm going to have Culture Sundays. Um, I will say that the DJ, Napstar, a.k.a. my fiancé, is wonderful. He's the DJ last year, the DJ this year, so he plays all the best in culture music. Um, And September 3rd is going to be a back-to-school block party. So that's going to be an energy park in Greenfield, Massachusetts from 12 to 3. Busy, busy, busy. (laughs) Yes, but bringing good, fun things for everybody to come together and have, like, fun at. Right. Are there any educational components to to your Juneteenth festivals? Yes. Well, like this year, um, I added the Greenfield Historical Society is actually, I'm going to be doing a presentation. um, And they're actually going to speak a lot as far as the Civil War and as far as um, a lot of um, the history of of black Americans in Greenfield and a lot of history. So um, they're going to present a lot of information that a lot of people didn't know. As a matter of fact, did you know that Frederick Douglass 
gave a speech in Greenfield in 18... Don't get me lying. <laughs> but, but, but in 18... He gave a speech in, in Greenfield. In, in, in the 1800s at Washington <laughs> Hall, Frederick mm-hmm. Douglass walked the streets of Greenfield, Massachusetts. As a matter of fact, usually everywhere I go, I have that paper with me, and that's a fun fact. <laughs> so I don't know where I left it. But yes, you need to look it up. Frederick Douglass came to Greenfield, Massachusetts at Washington Hall and gave a speech. So I would definitely... That was fascinating. And the tickets was 33 cents. Can you imagine how much it would be now? Tell somebody, imagine if that was Obama right now. How much <laughs> I mean, I feel like we'd be down either way, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but he has a lot of ties to this area in general, mm-hmm. like like through the Ruggles Center and like dealing with David Ruggles and like speaking all around. Like our area has a lot more ties to him and people in abolition than mm-hmm. we often remember. But that's cool. Like yes. I also love that Juneteenth is an opportunity for people to learn more yes. about American culture. Yes. I don't need the modifier for it. It's mm-hmm. American culture. Yes. <laughs> okay. So your event, one more time, when is it happening? Monday, June 19th, Greenfield, Massachusetts, Beacon Field, be there or be square is the only place to be. Come on out. What is the thing you are most excited about happening this June? There's so much. Oh, my goodness. The parade. The, the youth parade. parade. I'm not going to lie. I, you know, <laughs> it, you know, that's in me from, like I said, being part of the carnival here in Springfield to marching in the parade. It's just something about a parade that just excites me. It's well, just I, a whole excitement. I mean, hopefully it'll excite everybody <laughs> else, too. Right. That's the point. <laughs> And where can they find more information about the Juneteenth happening? Um, you can find it at www.movingmountainsmedia.org, or you can find me on Facebook under Empress Banu, and that's M-P-R-E-S-S-B-E-N-N-U. Thank you so much, Thank Empress, you. for coming on the show. Thank Empress Banu is the founder and organizer behind the Juneteenth celebrations happening in Greenfield. Go check them out on June 19th. Up next, we are going to speak with Miss Andy Anderson, who is the stepsister of bluesman Robert Johnson. Yes, that Robert Johnson. But the cool thing about her life is that it's so varied and so wondrous in all of her 97 years, producing a book really late in life and then becoming a figure in the area who is larger than that life. It was really cool to get her in the studio. I'm a talker. In fact, people have to run away from me. And my, my daughters don't like to go shopping with me because I entertain. That's an entertainment place. But I take this after my father. No one is a stranger to him. And he could hem you up. You trying to get away? Well, the same thing, that uh, body language. And, and I see it, but sometimes I'm selfish. I keep talking. <laughs> and I know I can get on people's nerves because I'm repetitive. <laughs> I don't see how that's possible. You have, like, 97 years and all these stories, so why not? Well, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I've, I've, I've been there. There are a lot of things that I have seen because uh, I, people don't know about Brother Robert. I'm going to send you back to your mother, baby. Lord, and I'm going back to my family, too. How did you end up here 
in Massachusetts. Well, my sister Carrie, who partially reared me and also reared Brother Robert, they were close, and they were sisters, yet whole sisters, same mother but not the same father. And she wanted me to come up in 1948. I was still in my teens, but I decided that I wanted to come up. And she was living in Churchton, Maryland. She had come up to be near her son, who was in the Navy, and he was stationed in Annapolis, Maryland and from there to D.C., and from there to Massachusetts. So that's how I got here. <laughs> and my husband was studied at Le Moyne. That was our college there. From there, he went to Harvard University. He studied under Dr. Charles Drew. Yes, I'm sure you know who I he is. I know who Charles Drew is. And right. For, for anybody who doesn't know who Charles Drew is, and Charles I Drew met is a medical him. pioneer. But, so your husband went to, to Harvard and studied with studied in the medical school. And he with, was a scientist, and he had amazing. a scholarship which allowed him to work with Dr. Charles Drew. So my husband wanted me to meet Dr. Charles Drew. So I did go. I was expecting my first child, but I went anyway. And he had a lot of chickens in his lab. And I never thought to ask my husband, why were those chickens, how were they connected with the blood bank? But evidently they did. Somewhere I had a photograph of his lab, and I haven't been able to find it. Hopefully I'll find it and publish it in my book. But he, he, got, his, um, he got his master's from there. Mm-hmm. So your book was published not too long ago. You were already in your 90s, and you'd been working on this book book with a collaborator who'd made a book about the Chitlin circuit. Did you find that book or did they contact you? I found you? the book. Okay. And then you contacted but them about it. My daughter, who is uh, internet savvy, she did it for me. It took a while. And uh, I found the book when it dropped in um, one of the bookstores locally. And I saw his face on the cover. And I said to myself, what does he know about the children's circuit? That's a, bu- that's a black thing. Mm-hmm. But something said, take the book and read it. So I took the book, picked it up, and went to the back and read through it. And lo and behold, this man knew everybody. I knew all of Memphis, all of Bill Street. And I said, this is the guy. Because <laughs> most people who wrote about Robert Johnson didn't know. They just put down something somebody said. Mm-hmm story short, my daughter found him. We called everywhere. (laughs) She finally found him, and he didn't make any shorts in connecting me. We got together immediately and met. He drove up from Virginia, and we talked. It came up about three times. Then I went down, and we drove everywhere, all over Mississippi, Tennessee, got information, ate the good southern food, had a good time, visited great uh, graveyards of the family, and uh, then we went on with the book. And it didn't take very long. I think he did it in about three months. Of course, I had notes, Mm -hmm. and I knew all about Robert Johnson. Mm -hmm. So this book is really about my life with him and actually knowing him. And I plan to write a second book, if I make it, about life after what happened in this book. This is just to give the family ties Mm -hmm. and that he did have a family. Most books out there doesn't uh, carry the story about his life in Memphis. He was truly a Memphian, not a Mississippian. Did you find when you were traveling 
preparing for the book, like looking at all of your old family locations that you had to at least locally try to dispel some of those rumors that had been told about Robert Johnson? Did you find yourself? I didn't deliberately do it. I thought that that was not as important Mm -hmm. of telling, making people know that I actually knew him Mm -hmm. and that he actually had a family and that he was not abandoned as people thought he was. Right. How many siblings were there total? How many children total? Mama Julia had 11 children. Some died. Some died before I, I met them. So I only met my sister Carrie, brother Robert, and my brother's son Leroy by Mama Julia. The others had passed on. I hope I dispel some of the talk about who taught him to play. He came from a musical family. My father played many instruments, like the bandolin, banjo, those old African mm-hmm. uh, instruments. So he didn't have to learn from Sunhouse. He had a brother who was also his half-brother, same mother but not the same father. And uh, so he learned from him, and they played together, did house parties, picnics, funeral parties, just to name a few. Whatever was available to play at, That's you right. go play at it. And then he was exposed to all the people on Bill Street, all the renowned blues players like the Mississippi Sheets, Memphis Sheets, and I can't think of the father of the blues. But he and my brother would do Louis Armstrong and all the jazz musicians that were there, like Jimmy Lunsford, just to name a few. But we had people marching in bl- with blues through the neighborhood, and I can't think of the father of the blues as well as I know his name. You could peep through the trees on Bill Street and through the park, and there he was playing his St. Louis blues. The guy, yeah, W.C. Handy, he was there. But we weren't allowed to cross that park because people did everything. They gambled, and you had your wine heads, and you just didn't cross it, mm-hmm. go into it. But Brother Robert used to play over there, That's, I guess, in Church's Park. I'm sure you've heard of Church's Park. And my mother didn't allow me to go because everybody went. And it's wonderful to think that he played more than just blues like clear. He, he was versatile in his playing. He played. You could. He had an ear, and he could play anything. He played lead belly. belly. I can't think of his name right now. Mm-hmm. Did Louis Armstrong. My brother would imitate Louis Armstrong and whatever bass parts that uh, he needed Brother Robert could play that bass part. And let's see, he did country. He was a country music buff. And his favorite was Jimmy Rogers. So is my favorite because there was a close connection with Brother Robert and myself. What do you remember most fondly about your time with Robert Johnson? It's the times that we went shopping together because we always went to Beale Street to shop, most of us. And my sister was a seamstress, his sister Carrie. And I'd address her as Sister Carrie because she was about 15 years older than I. So she was more of a mother figure than she was a sister. So she practically reared me as she did Brother Robert. So, and I learned everything to cook, to wash, to iron, shop everything, you know, from her. Mm-hmm. With all of these stories, it seems like this second book, like I would, not to say that I'd be disappointed hearing more about Robert Johnson, but honestly, like, I want to hear more about your life. Your life is, like, This amazing. is what my daughter says, that your you daughter's are right. important. <laughs> but this second book would include 
by doing research in order to open the estate mm. and communicating with ber- various bl- bluesmen from Chicago, California. I've met them all. Even Johnny Winters, I met him. He wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't interview me. Uh, at first, I didn't understand. But see, my job was to find bluesmen who had done Brother Robert's music, mm-hmm. and they would be sued for what they had earned. So he knew that, but at the time, I didn't know it. Ah. So he wouldn't. I don't blame him. He wouldn't <laughs> tell. <laughs> He's running from you. What's one thing that you learned? from your brother that you still hold with you? Well, the closest to me and my brother Robert that I could always do together, and it was always in his repertoire. I knew all the country westerns, the classics, but Jimmy Rogers stands out in my mind because I could always do it with him. And so when my time came, I was always happy. I I talk about it all the time. That stands out more than anything else and taking me to the railroad to see the trains and see that steam blow out. And I love the trains. I can get on one now and stay all day. Trains are the best. It's a beautiful ride from Chicago to Memphis on the train, and I've done it many times. (laughs) Ms. Anderson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me. No problem. It's an absolute pleasure. You've no idea. She really was a pleasure to speak to. And thanks, too, to Tim Erickson, who helped us organize getting her into the studio because it is not always easy to move a 97-year-old woman. (laughs) But she was a good sport about it. Once again, we're looking for your Juneteenth experiences. So if you've celebrated the holiday before or looking forward to celebrating this holiday, no matter where, or are just finding out about it, let us know at thefab413 at nepm.org or 1-800-639-9120. Tomorrow on the show, nerds, because they are my people. Black Nerddom and Western Mass with the folks from the Begin podcast. It'll be all anime, tabletop, role-playing, comics, video games, board games, cosplay, and more, especially because they are gearing up to go to San Diego Comic-Con. Nerds are my peoples, to be sure. And we're going to talk with the folks from the Compost Cooperative in Greenfield. Trenda Lofton and Revan Schendler will help us understand how truly transformative the work that they are doing in and with often ostracized communities really is. They're doing such cool stuff and it was such a cool conversation. Our director is Tony Diggin the Pulled Pork Dunn. Our engineer is Betsy with the talkative child today, Lankdo. Our technical team is Bart reconditioning the printers now, Rankin, Kara road tripping to the roadshow Foster and punk rude boy Dubay. Thanks to Spouse, Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, Guitar Slim, John Lee Hooker and the kids and the Gaslight Tinkers. I'm Khalees Smith. Join me tomorrow on the fabulous 413. This is WNNZ AM 640 Westfield, WNNZ FM 917, Deerfield, WFCR 88.5 HD3 Amherst, WNNU 89.5 Great Barrington, WNNI 98.9 Adams, WAIC 91.9 Springfield, WAMH 89.1 
89.3 Amherst and streaming at NEPM.org. It is fundraising time. Here's John Sutton with one more about giving to NEPM. It's a lot of electricity going into all those radio stations, and oh we have gosh. to pay the bill for that. And how do we pay our bills around here? It's with listener contributions. Uh, and uh, we, uh, we're asking that you step forward because 60% of our money comes from listener donations. It's how we keep the stations on the air. It's how we're paying for this brand new and, well, sort of brand new uh, a program called the Fabulous 413. Uh, we're hearing so many good things about this because people are saying, I didn't even know half the stuff or more than half the stuff I'm hearing about. So we're helping you to discover where you live, kind of new eyes and new ears on your own backyard. Please support it with a contribution right now at 800-639-8850 or nepm.org. It has been really cool to interact with everyone in the area, too, just getting feedback from folks and suggestions on where we should eat pizza because, oh, I feel like it's been a minute since we had a pizza quest and we need to get that fixed because everybody really does need to know where the best pizza in the Western mast is. That's just good community effort there. <laughs> well, you know, I think that, the, you know, the idea of trying to find the best pizza is really ambitious because what is best? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> but but finding out where all this great pizza is, I mean, it makes me want to travel. It right. makes me want to, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere that I would otherwise not go to try this out. And that's the, the the discovery part of what this program does, what this radio station does. And not just for the fabulous 413. I mean, it was kind of audacious, but NPR named its flagship program All Things Considered. <laughs> it's the spirit of discovery, right? right? Not half things considered, although if we didn't have listener support, it would only be like 40% things considered. <laughs> so look, we're asking you to give because this is a place where you come to hear about the world, to learn about the news, but more important, to discover things that make your life more interesting. If Fabulous 413 does that, if you appreciate the work that Kalise and Monty do every day, please back that up with a contribution at 800-639-8850 or nepm.org. Giving is really easy and doesn't take too much of your time. Just two minutes. We need your name and a little contact information, which we keep private. You can sign up as a sustaining member with a recurring monthly payment from your bank account or credit card, or you can make a one-time gift. It's easy on our website at nepm.org or call 800-639-8850. And we ask that you support not only your, your listening to this program, but you're listening to the entire radio station. We fit into your lives in so many ways while you're making breakfast, while you're on your commute, while you're doing your weekend chores. Please step forward and support that. If you can, become a monthly sustaining member. That's when the contribution comes out a small amount, $5 a month, $10 a month, right out of your credit card or your checking account. And we make it ch easy to change at any time. Support the fabulous 413. Kalis and Monty with your contribution now, nepm.org. The phone number to call is 800-639-8850. That's 800-639-8850. And please be sure to listen to the podcast or to tune in again tomorrow.